Welcome back to the Work Bold Podcast, where we chat with the leaders in commercial real estate to answer all questions, space as a service. This podcast is for anyone involved in commercial real estate in any way. If you're an investor, fund manager, developer, property manager, agent or broker, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and I'm back in England for this third episode for season six, sponsored by TSK. By now, we've all heard the famous quote by Anthony Slumbers, businesses don't want an office, they want a productive workforce. So the question for us folks in the office real estate business is how do we enable a productive workforce? That used to be the job of our tenants, but we call them customers now, and the office game is changing. It's all about the plus and ensuring people have a variety of tools wherever they choose to work. So I invited Sophie Foster, a psychologist by training and workplace consultant at TSK Group, to talk through workplace psychology and how spaces can help get the best out of people. Sophie has always been interested in bringing the best out of people, whether it be top athletes, leaders, or those at the top of their game. And what I like is how she now looks at how organizations can bring the best out of their people through their workplace. We talked through some examples of how she's helped some of the biggest brands enable their teams to navigate the new hybrid working world and stay connected to company culture. We cover how inclusivity, well-being, and the feeling of belonging affects company culture, and Sophie shares the best examples of hybrid that she's seen to date. As always, if you have any questions or feedback or topics you want covered, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker or DM me on LinkedIn. Now, you've probably heard that TSK is our headline sponsor for season six, and planning this episode helped us decide on that. As you heard in the trailer for the season, we decided to only partner with a sponsor if they could contribute to the sharing of creative ideas that this podcast is known for. After listening to this episode, I think you'll agree we made the right decision. I think now is a good time for some insights from our headline sponsor, TSK. I've been saying the future of work equals the future of commercial real estate. The office has a crucial role to play as a tool in the platform of work. So I tend to agree with this nugget from TSK. Buildings have always played a huge role in our lives. You know, it's where we're born, it's where we grow up, it's our home. Actually, in terms of how we progress our professional life, the way that we work with colleagues, collaborate, learn, grow, are coached and are nurtured, they're physically part of getting together within a work environment. So our workplaces are a fundamental part of how we grow professionally and how we have fulfilled lives. How will offices need to change to support new ways of working? Stay tuned for more insights from TSK later in the show. Jeff, let's kick it. Welcome back to the Work Bold Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and today I'm joined by Sophie Foster, workplace consultant at TSK Group. TSK design and build amazing workplaces for some of the world's biggest brands across the UK and Ireland, including Kellogg's, WeWork, Adidas, Money Supermarket, Flutter Entertainment, Arup, and of course, Bold, just to name a few. They're a team of strategists, storytellers, designers, educators, and construction specialists committed to helping organizations and their people reach their full potential. They've spent over 25 years creating workplaces that inspire people to do their best work, whether that's for occupiers, flex operators, space-as-a-service operators, or landlords. They're proud to be able to make a real difference to people's working lives. As part of the strategy and design team at TSK Group, Sophie specializes in delivering people-centered workplace change solutions. I love that, putting people at the center of the universe. 
Combining her experience of working with leading brands and her knowledge of psychology, wellness, and healthy buildings, Sophie takes pride in producing positive client experiences. Her role at TSK is to engage with organizations, gather, analyze, and interpret data, and recommend a suitable workplace change strategy that is aligned with business objectives. She then supports in translating workplace strategy into design and champions the change journey through end-user engagement. One of her skills is challenging perspectives to achieve the best outcomes for her clients and their people, and her main passion is creating human-centered environments that improve health, promote inclusivity, and positively impact communities and the environment. Welcome to the Workbold Podcast, Sophie. Thank you. It's great to be here, Caleb. Well, I'm really thrilled that you're focused on putting people at the center of the universe. And before we get started in this conversation, I want to dive into your role as a workplace consultant and how your knowledge of psychology plays a part in creating workplaces. Can you talk about that? Yeah, definitely. So my passion has always been for understanding people. And I guess outside of the workplace remit, I've always been interested in things like how do we bring out the best in people, looking at professional athletes or individuals at the top of their game in academia or business leaders. I've also really been interested in things like what causes people to do truly terrible things. You know, the stuff that they show on Netflix documentaries. And I guess as, as psychologists, we're always looking for the causes of behavior. And generally we attribute that to either biological reasons, such as our DNA, genetics, or chemistry, or environmental influences, like our physical surroundings, or possibly or our social influences, like our relationships and what we observe in others. And I guess it was the, the latter two that made me become more interested in psychology at work and how we can bring out the best in not just people, but organizations through workplace. And whilst we don't get extremities, we do get like counterproductive work behaviors and people that are high achievers and things like that. Well, I want to I want to dive into these extremities here in just a second. And you mentioned Netflix, and I have to talk about one extremity: <laughs> Netflix making of a murder. And I just wonder if this guy might have had a better workplace setting. Maybe we wouldn't have a Netflix documentary. I don't know. <laughs> hey, you, you've got a point there, Caleb. Who knows? <laughs> well, hopefully, um, that's not what we're dealing with these days. But you know, I do want to hear more about these extremities. And maybe could you give me some examples of how psychology plays a part in this? Yeah, definitely. So psychology plays a massive part in a lot of the work that I do at TSK. So often the biggest element of psychology is organizational change. So often when our clients go through a workplace transformation project, it's often because there are big drivers for change, such as mergers, acquisitions, business restructuring, technology improvements, or generally just culture change. Often they need a workplace to be able to not just support this change, but also act as a catalyst for it. So I guess my role at TSK is to be able to support organizations in the change they wish to make. Uh, this starts from right at the very beginning of projects, determining what the workplace change should be through evidence gathering, fact finding, analysis, through to um, implementing the workplace change and supporting our clients with the adjustment going forward. So with TSK, our clients are often very heavily on the occupier side. So I'm really fortunate in that I get to work a lot with end users of the space. And a lot of the work that I do is around addressing individuals' resistance to change. So usually we find a lot of resistance to change in organizations when they're going through workplace transformation projects. 
This could be because individuals are seeking routine. It could be because change often evokes an emotional response in us. It could be because it's quite cognitively demanding change, or maybe it's because people are often focused on the short term rather than the long term. And I guess it's my job to be able to help support the end users of the space in the mindset shift to enable them to, to use their new workplace efficiently. And I just wanted to call out that sometimes it's not actually necessarily a bad thing being resistant to change because it can actually pull out concerns that individuals have with the project or with the outcome. And it can actually challenge us as project teams to be thinking about everything. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a good point. And we, we have this, I've said this a million times on this podcast about the polarization that happens with all the change we're going through right now, where there's people on one side or the other that are sort of yelling. Whereas the truth sort of in the middle somewhere and it's, you know, how can we take the best of both worlds? But without people standing on their soapbox on one side or the other and shouting, we wouldn't necessarily be cognizant of the things that really matter that we need to take into consideration. So it's a very good point you make. To me, the fact that you guys are doing so much work with occupiers and helping them navigate this change that we are going through now is fascinating to me and it's something it's one of the reasons that i it bold and how, how we like to work with tsk is because you have all this insight from what the customers want and what they need and, and all the psychology behind it but this last 18 months it's no secret that the workplace is being used in a vastly different way than it was pre-pandemic or the expectation of how it's going to be used going forward will be different considering this new wave of flexible working and that whole keyword of hybrid so I'm curious, based on these conversations you're having with your customers, what impact do you think this is going to have on design and the whole design process and the use of space? I, say, I think that's a really good question, Caleb, and it's probably the most asked question that we're getting at the moment. So how is everything that's happened over the last 18 months going to impact space and people, how people use space? Um, so you only have to look on LinkedIn to see those posts that crop up every day where it's like this to be in the office one day a week, celebrate this for two to three days in the week. Because clearly people are thinking about how they're going to be working differently in space. And clearly there's different expectations and different priorities about how people want to use their different environments. So what we're generally seeing a lot with end users is them weighing up the time that it takes for them to commute to go to the office against what they will actually get in terms of visiting the office. So whether that be productivity, collaboration, or just general outcomes. So what we're seeing now is that the office generally needs to have more of a purpose than it did before. There has to be a reason for people to come to the office. For some, the purpose might just be the everyday. Nothing will have changed, but for, for others, like, we can see they're really, really weighing that up. And I guess from a design process that impact, it's made us think slightly differently to how we did before. So generally our process now is that we do a period of fact-finding, evidence gathering and analysis. We would propose a solution based on everyone's views of how, what the office should look like, aligned with an organization's strategy for the future. And then we would go through a period of experimentation and piloting. So we're no longer thinking about, okay, let's implement something that's going to last for, you know, a 10 year lease or something like that. We're actually using this to experiment, to pilot, to analyze the results from this pilot period and then to fine tune going forwards. Because as much as we all in this industry like to say we can crystal ball and, and know what everything's going to look like in 18 months time, it's a real challenge. 
And so the key for organizations, in my view, is to learn as much as you can, speak to your people, speak to industry leaders, don't be expect to fail experiment and <laughs> yeah i think it's a good point and you might be in a 10-year lease but you can't build out a space to last 10 years you've got to make sure that your space is dynamic and you're learning from it and it can be adjusted and be agile but if you're getting ready to sign a lease you know do you sign a 10-year lease now you know and i think there's a lot of companies that are looking at how they can be more flexible and be able to be agile so they can make these changes as they go but i'm curious in these conversations that you're having and maybe it's too early to tell, but are there any offerings that are being added that weren't popular before the pandemic and before all these lockdowns and before working from home was super ubiquitous? Or are there any aspects that are being removed and no longer relevant than they were before? So what we're seeing more and more is increasingly organizations are analyzing the cost that they spend on hiring external venues for things like studio space, content creation, getting everyone together for town hall events those sort of off-site creative days and creative meetings and just general celebration. Because what we found is that the cost that organizations have put into hiring hotels or external venues is now something that organizations can actually be bringing to the heart of their organization within their office, their hub. So many people have had the conversation now that hybrid working means that there's an opportunity to reduce space because there's less people in the office than the pre-COVID levels. But actually organizations that might be in the situation where they've signed a five, 10 year lease and have this space, why not bring all of those elements back into the office? So actually your purpose could be that people come to the office to have a celebration, to get together, to do some recordings or, or, or learning as an organization. So that's something that we're seeing more and more along with increasing things like food provision and increase in well-being offers. So things like returning mothers, faith, uh, because I think a lot of people now have the view that their home life has had to adapt to work and now work should have to adapt to people's home lives. Wow, that's a great soundbite. <laughs> Physically. Offices will move away from doing things that they never did very well anyway, such as supporting people doing private, confidential, focused tasks. I think what we're now seeing is this sense that an element of choice is applicable on an individual level. The office will now support things that home can't support as well, such as collaboration, learning, creativity. What we're looking at is more of a blended work environment that acknowledges that diversity of work activity. This reminds me, Sophie, of an episode I did with Michelle Schneider, for the VP of Workplace for Salesforce. And if I quote her soundbite, she talks about how the office is becoming the events venue. And instead of doing off-sites, you're doing on-sites because people aren't in the office as much. So now you bring people together within the office and repurpose in the office to be able to deliver an environment and a hospitality that an off-site hotel might. But that sort of begs a bigger question. Maybe we're not reducing space, but is that having a big impact on budget? So on space design, on renovating the space to, you know, as we look at ahead over the next five years and, you know, a lot of lease events are coming up. If people renew their lease and get some money for repurposing, what is that going to look like? I think it's a really interesting question. And I think if we were looking at this whole debate in terms of downsizing office space, you could very clearly see that actually we don't need as much space actually, let's go to a smaller office and we're going to save money in the long term, which is, you know, very, very black and white in the, in the standpoint. But actually how I think organizations should be looking at this is if people want to be working in a new way, in a hybrid way, 
they really need to be thinking about investment in terms of people, place and technology. So what we've seen over the last 18 months is that many organizations have invested an awful lot in technology, in digital transformation, meaning that people can work from anywhere, whether that be their office, their home, a co-working space, a cafe, which is great and supports this new hybrid way of working. We've also seen that organizations are now thinking about the investment in place. So as you were saying, Caleb, the, the question is, do we reduce size, which could be saving money in the long term, or do we keep an office of the same size and add these additional elements to the space, which could be more costly? And so I'm just going to park that element of place there, because then ultimately the, the most important aspect is now the, the investment in people. So whether this be monetary or whether this be time, there's obviously going to be a huge investment in people in the new ways of working, whether that be coaching people, whether that be empowering people to use the space in a new way. And ultimately, if we are creating new experiences within the workplace as well, we've got to think, okay, it's great. We're going to add a new coffee point with a great new barista, which is going to be a great experience. We could have a reduced space, but ultimately you've got the cost of the barista's wage that goes with that. So I think however you look at it, there's going to be an investment. But the most important part is weighing up where do you want your experience to be? And I guess I can't stress enough the importance of understanding and analyzing what is important to you as a business and to your people as well. Well, obviously every business is going to be different. Every company has a different culture that they want to promote and facilitate. I and mean, everybody has a different budget. So I think it's interesting the big questions that companies are faced with today. Do we repurpose our existing space, bring in all of these services and amenities within? Do we look for a building that already has that, that we can take a smaller space and tap into that hospitality on demand and those additional services on demand? I mean, obviously, this is what we're doing in our company is providing these services within assets for these office customers. But, you know, ultimately, it's what you're saying. We need to invest in people. We need to invest in facilitating the right culture for our business and picking the place and the experience based on that starting with culture first is the most important thing. But I do want to bring it back to place for a moment because I'm curious, you've seen a lot. What would you say is the best example recently of your favorite hybrid workplace right now? Oh, that's a, another very good question. I would actually say I've got two examples, if you wouldn't mind me, me talking through them. The first example of an exemplar hybrid workplace over the last six months, in my view, is the Flutter office in Leeds City Centre. So if you haven't heard of Flutter before, you might have heard of some of their leading brands such as PokerStars, Paddy Power, Sky Betting. And essentially, they wanted to create a hub which would support their ambitious growth plans and support their people in new ways of working as well. So as a, a little bit of background to the project, they were already in two buildings in Leeds City Centre, which caused some challenges with siloed working, and they wanted to bring everyone together in a centralised hub where people could do their best work. So it's a big project, eight floors, I believe around 130,000 square foot. And if you have a look at the office, you'll see it's absolutely extraordinary. I very much encourage people to go onto TSK's website and look up Butter's new office because it is really something. But I guess going away from aesthetics, that the premise of the office is that there are no fixed desks, and the space is purposefully designed so that people move across the floor plate. So going back to what I said about creating offices that are purposeful. What's interesting about this project as well is that over 20% of the building is dedicated to non-working activities. 
So you'll see there's a great roof terrace. There's some great games areas with a brand new PlayStation that I don't know how they managed to get hold of and snooker tables and great food provision as well. But ultimately, these are adding to the experience, but it's designed around allowing people, whether that be marketing teams or software developers, to do their very best work. And as a global brand, connect across the world to other butter organizations. And I guess just reinforce all the great work that they do as a business. And you said 20% of it is non-working space. Yes. What is the overall size of that project? I believe it's about 130,000 square foot, but I might have wow. to get back to you on that. Sure. Let's just call it approximately 130,000 square feet. 20% was dedicated to this non-working space and they've created this environment with no dedicated desks. It's fascinating, but they're going big on it. That's a big investment in a time where there's a big question about, you know, people coming back into the office or not. So clearly flutter, or I can't do it with the Northern accent like you have, <laughs> but um, clearly they believe in the value of having an, an office for their teams. And I think that's probably encouraging for all of my audience in commercial real estate right now. And so in your view, you believe that in this going forward, the office is still has a tremendous value and this face-to-face -face is going to be there going forward. Absolutely. I think whatever organization it is, there's always going to be an element of face-to-face -face that's going to be absolutely critical. So I guess you could argue with an organization like Flutter, well, hang on, Flutter is full of marketing teams, creative teams, tech teams. Of course, they're going to have that need for the office. But what about different organizations that don't necessarily meet the same demographics? So I guess that leads me on to my second example of a great hybrid working project that we've delivered over the last six months. Um, and that is for an organization called BLM Law based in Manchester. They're an organization full of lawyers and legal professionals. And I guess prior to COVID, maybe you wouldn't necessarily associate the, the legal world with new hybrid out there ways of working. Yeah, it's typically a traditional industry. Exactly. Yeah. So this was something that really was accelerated by the pandemic, actually. Similar to Flutter, they were across two buildings and they made the decision that they wanted to get everyone together in one hub. So it was a dramatic transformation from 14 floors to just four floors in Manchester City Centre. And their ambition was to be a digital first organisation. So lawyers used to often associate with lots of paper. Their ambition was to be paper light. So they wanted to create an office that was all centered around getting lawyers to come together to do their best work, to develop professionally and allow younger lawyers to learn as well. And I actually think it was quite bold, um, pardon the pun, for a legal organization to be thinking about giving people trust and autonomy to work from home quite a lot of the time. But this is something that they really wanted to distill and empower in their people. And you'll see that essentially it's a great place where people can choose to work in the office. People can choose to work from home and is ultimately centered around creating great hosting experience as well. So they've got some great clients that they want to take around Manchester. It's got the perfect place to be able to do that. So again, that's something that I would highly recommend the listeners to, to have a look at. Here's how TSK supports its clients to get the best out of their workspaces. 
you can see in the future there might be a shift from out of town to in town because of travel. And therefore, actually, if people are working in a more fluid way, actually, how do you support much more peaks and troughs in terms of population usage of a workplace in a different way? There have been many sort of common parallels between all of our clients. Many of them are looking at how do we work? Where do we work? What is the compelling advantage of the office? How does it link to the themes that make the office or connecting people powerful? It's not about process work anymore. It's not about managing calls or coming together to do simple tasks is about doing complex tasks together. For more insights from TSK, check out their documentary in the link in the show notes below or visit tskgroup.co.uk. Well, you know, you talk about Flutter and BLM, and I, I know you guys have a fantastic video. I saw almost like a documentary style on this whole Flutter project. I was watching it last week, and then the BLM space. I follow you guys on Instagram, and so I'm looking, always looking for inspiration for design. And the BLM space looks fantastic, and I couldn't believe it was a law firm. I know it's yeah. I, th- I think actually, when you have a look at the visuals, you wouldn't expect it to be a corporate law firm working that space, but. It was something that they really, as an organization, pushed for. It was a great project to be involved in because they created things like champions groups where they got individuals from all levels of the organization to play a role in curating the space and how they would use the space going forward. It's a space that is, Brienne, excellent, I believe, because sustainability was something that was massively important to them. A lot of clients and people that I'm speaking to have almost said, oh, I don't know what to do. Maybe we should wait and see what other organizations are doing. Well, I think this is two great examples of very, very different organizations that have made sort of dramatic, bold decisions. And they're actually um, seeing great results from it already in terms of how their employees are experiencing the space. Perfect. So I'd like to move this conversation into a topic I'm a big fan of, inclusivity. I believe it's super important for people to feel like they belong. And I know this is a passion for you too, Sophie. So how do we need to be thinking when we're creating workplace cultures and the environments that are welcoming? Another really, really good question. So I guess really good examples of environments that are designed to support inclusivity and diversity are supermarkets. So you go to a supermarket, there's plenty of disabled parking spaces. There's plenty of width between the aisles, depending on which supermarket chain you go to. There are often things like audio loops to support hearing aids as well at the checkouts. And so the reason being why supermarkets often invest quite a lot in inclusivity and diversity of their spaces is because they know that a large population of their consumers are the elderly. And ultimately, they know that if they can attract this demographic of people to their supermarkets, they'll make a lot more money. I guess the challenge for us as an industry is that many landlords and organizations aren't necessarily thinking about how much money they can get from bringing this diverse demographic of people into the organization, because ultimately a lot of the time they're actually paying the people to come to the organization. So really we need to have a bit of a shift in thinking about how diversity and inclusion in building design can support with reducing social inequality and increasing social value, providing a better public image, improving the reputation of the landlord, the building owner, the organization, and essentially attracting a wider demographic of diversity to to the space. I'm going to take a different sort of approach to this question or this topic for a moment. And as you're talking, I'm thinking out loud here, but what's maybe one or two things that you see that are common that absolutely must change to be able to accommodate 
and make people feel more welcomed? I think there's some really, really easy, obvious, quick wins for things like this. I think access is the biggest right for a lot of people. A lot of people that I've spoken to have said that actually they can feel ostracized just by not being able to get into a building. I think there's common things that organizations often miss in terms of including glass elevators, which are obviously really, really challenging for people with vertigo. I think a lot of the time organizations flood the space with furniture, which may look aesthetically great, but actually if you've got someone coming into the space in a wheelchair, that can be a real challenge. So actually, you know, maybe just don't overload the space with too much furniture. And then I think there's considerations for things that are, you know, a lot of people are talking about at the moment, including gender neutral toilets and things like that. Well, you know, diversity and inclusion is a big topic. And I always in the same conversation, we talk about well-being. And when we talk about attracting talent and retaining talent, there's been a big focus on creating a culture where people feel like they belong. And what I believe, and I bang on this drum a lot, is people want to feel taken care of. And that does bring up the topic of well-being. And historically, it's been a tick box to make sure that you have you know, discounts for a gym or have a small fitness center in, in the workplace or something like that. But it's way more than that. So I'm wondering if you could elaborate on the well-being topic for us. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're completely right. I think a lot of organizations historically have just used well-being as a bit of a, a tick box and a bit of a perk. But if you look at the data and the stats around it, I think it's something like one in six UK deaths are attributed to inactivity. And, you know, it's talked about a lot that we spend 90% of our time indoors. We spend so much time in the office or working from home, sat down sedimentary. Well-being is a holistic topic. So it's not just physical, it's also mental and social. And I think it's an organization's responsibility to be supporting the well-being of their people. So this is something that we're really, really passionate about at TSK. I'm part of the FitWell ambassador group. I'm also a Well AP. So I guess my role is to ensure that we're promoting good health and well-being strategies within the environment to make sure that people feel welcome, people feel comfortable, people feel confident that when they walk into the space, no matter who they are, what their background is, what their priorities are, that they feel safe and included within the space. And I'm just wondering, you know, you obviously you're creating these strategies for so many different companies. Do you have any advice for us as operators or the landlord community on the supply side of the industry on how to help support well-being of the customers? Yes, I think one thing that would be a massive help for a lot of organizations is to think about things like location from the get-go. So there's an awful lot you can do with an interior of a space to support people's well-being. There's an awful lot that you can add in. But ultimately, if a building is created and it's not considered acoustics, it's not considered, if a building is created and it's not considered things like air quality, if it's not considered things like thermal comfort, if you've not actually considered the surrounding areas as well, I know that fit well, you're more likely to get a higher score if you're located nearer to transit, if you're located nearer to shops and outdoor parks and restorative gardens and things like that. So I think there's an awful lot that can be done. There's an awful lot that workplace leaders could be doing when it comes to thinking about how do we create buildings that support people's well-being rather than it being something that's an adjustment later on down the line. Well, thank you for that. And I want to move into our quickfire round now, Sophie, and you've listened to the podcast, so you know how this works. <laughs> I'm going to dive into the first question, and it's who inspires you in our industry? 
I guess my biggest inspiration is probably a woman called Lily Bernheimer. She wrote an absolutely fantastic book called The Shape of Us, which is essentially a description of how our everyday spaces, structure, our lives, behavior, well-being is really an analysis of how we could design the whole of our environment to be better. And so she's done some really, really great work. I believe she won the 2018 Reba prize for some of the work that she did on prison design and well-being so yeah she's someone that as a psychologist too that i'm quite inspired by we'll make sure to put a link to that book in the show notes below sorry jeff sophie what is your go-to for the latest workplace insight so when i think about workplace i always think about it more broadly than just the physical space so i guess my go-to would always be adam grant and um, he's got a great podcast so called good. Work Life. Yeah, he's, again, another psychologist call out. I can't help myself. But yeah, he's absolutely fantastic. And of course, like most of the insight that I get is actually through talking to my clients. I'm really, really fortunate that I've got such a broad client base from lots of different industries that are going through lots of different transformations. So yeah, I'd say definitely my clients as well. Well, well put there. Adam Grant, we'll make sure to let him know that you called him out. And um, we'd love to get Adam on the podcast one day. <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be the dream? Yeah, that'd be amazing. So if you, the last question for you is not work-related. Well, maybe it's work-related if we talk about taking some downtime. But where is your favorite holiday destination? Oh, that's a tricky one. Weren't you just on holiday? I was. And I would probably say that my favorite holiday destination is probably any good European city with lots of sun, good food, good drink, and plenty of places to explore. So yeah, I was just in Lisbon, which was fantastic. But you know, Athens, Barcelona, just anywhere that ticks any of those boxes. Yes, I concur. And uh, there's probably about 20 cities we can name off. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. It's this beauty of living in Europe. Look, Sophie, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your insights with us today. Really appreciate it. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me, Caleb. Thank you all for joining in today. Be sure to connect with Sophie on LinkedIn. We'll put links to her profile down in the show notes below. And until next time, take care of yourself. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And remember, fortune favors the bold. Drum roll, please. P.S. If you want to find out about future-proofing your portfolio, head over to newflex.com. This episode of the Work Bold podcast was produced by the producer, Jason Allen Scott. It was edited, content created, mastered, SEO, meta tagged, and many other technical things by Jeff Allen Streck. Social media assets and all content for this show, including blogs and transcripts and audiograms, were created by Sophia Giblin from Your Content Factory. This show is made by a podcast company. If you'd like to find out more about our services, please email jason at jsjvs.com. That's jason at jsjvs.com. We hope you enjoyed the show.